0: You're listening to the RUV English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English. Hello, welcome to the RUV English podcast. I'm Darren Adam. Thank you very much for your company today. And my guest today is Dr. Amelia Telesse, who's an award-winning Italian artist, writer and academic, who lives and works here in the Icelandic capital in Reykjavik. And I caught up with her at her studio a couple of weeks ago, where one project in particular caught my attention, the conversion of used milk cartons into rather splendid works of art, and we'll get into that, but Amelia and her art are about so much more than just that. She told me about her background in art and indeed the many places that she's practised it.
1: I lived in the UK for 22 years, mostly in Sussex. Uh, I had my degree from the Fine Arts Academy in Florence uh, in 1996, specialising in um, Renaissance techniques and also uh, the um, Italian avant-garde. But also after that I studied at Brighton University, printmaking, and also Sussex University, arts management. And uh, I ended up doing a PhD at Loughborough University, that finished in 2020.
0: But Iceland is your home now, so we're very fortunate that you are here. And the project that caught my attention, and we'll talk about some of the other work that you've done, but the project that caught my attention is its in front of me right now. You take old milk cartons and turn them into the most astonishing pieces of art. And I'm standing in front of a couple of basins. One is full of original you might say milk cartons that haven't been cut up and on the left is another basin where there are lots of milk cartons that have been cut up and opened out and and flattened and taped together which creates a very sort of metallic plastic surface that you then start to work on so let's start at the beginning here why why milk cartons why these milk cartons where did the idea come from?
1: Uh, the idea came from the fact that uh, Tetrapak, which is the material that most of the um, milk cartons are known as because of the manufacturer in Sweden called Tetrapak, Pak, yeah. um, can be of different kinds. And some of them are made of, uh, for example, just one material like card- cardboard. And the other is um, a, um, like an aseptic material, which is made of lots of layers of different uh, parts, uh, different materials. Like this fan, for example, uh, is um, is a carton for uh, long life milk mm-hmm. made of different layers of aluminum and uh, cardboard and plastic. The problem with these multi-layered uh, cartons is that they cannot be recycled mm. other than in special facilities that um, Tetra Pak, which is uh, by far the largest manufacturer of, um, makes available in some countries, but in others it's not available, so they end up in landfill. And one of the reasons why I do this is because I'm interested in posing questions about how we use things and especially things that we um, think are non-problematic like you know milk cartons or recycling uh, materials.
0: So so this would not biodegrade then for a a very long time if at all?
1: No because there are two layers of plastic and Mm -hmm. one layer of aluminium that cannot be separated. And You can
0: can probably hear there it is a hard surface which is not great for the environment but if we turn around here it turns out to be a great surface for artistic purposes. So Tell me what I'm standing in front of here. This is what looks like a print that has been made from something that you've placed on about 10 milk cartons stuck together. You've turned them over, you've printed something on here or you've drawn something or cut something into the shiny side. So what are we looking at here?
1: I gradually carve the images onto the milk cartons that I've treated and flattened in many ways. Um, Then I make an impression of it, which in printmaking is what you do when you have a matrix which is the original carved piece that can be of many different materials. In printmaking you can have uh, metal matrices like um, zinc or copper or iron and in this case is the carton, is the Mm -hmm. milk carton. And from that, you create an impression of it with ink. So you go through a process uh, that uh, utilizes an intaglio press, which we have here is a, a Finnish press.
0: And this is a big-looking, heavy machine with a giant wheel on one side, a bit like the sort of wheel you would get on a, on a penny-farthing bicycle a very long time ago, I suppose. And two very heavy-looking dials that can be turned on a machine that's a couple of metres wide and about a metre tall. A very, very heavy iron-cast piece of machinery there.
1: Yes, um, it's a very heavy piece that can only be made uh, to order on site. And uh, so this one was made by Halle in in Finland. Uh, We also have here at the studio a number of other presses uh, that are from Sweden, from the UK, from Germany, from the US and Denmark.
0: Well, we'll take a look at those in just a moment. But going back to what you've printed here with the artwork on those milk cartons, it's, I, I, maybe this is intentional, you can tell me, but it's very obvious that this has been created on lots of smaller surfaces stuck together. Did you want to keep that feel? Did you want it to be obvious that this was something you've created on lots of items joined together?
1: That's a great question. Yes, it was intentional. It was intentional because I didn't want to make something that simply looks pretty but something that um, has a history and makes us wonder mm. one of the uh, functions to in my view of artists is that uh, they are uh, like canaries in the um, in the coal mine so they uh, are the first to sense things mm. and, to, uh, and to alert others of dangers for example and this is one of the things that i try to do with keeping the history of the material that i'm yeah. using
0: and it's the, the effect it's created when I first saw this at first glance, obviously this isn't what it is, but it has the feel of a Japanese artwork that you might find hanging in a Japanese home because you've got that sense of it being layered and you've got the different lines going all the way down. I mean, that's just coincidental, I guess, but that's what it struck me as when I saw it.
1: It's a really interesting uh, point of view also because um, one of the things that happened to my generation of Italian artists uh, born in the 1970s, is that uh, we were influenced a lot by Japanese media. Okay, that was um, in fact the subject of my BA thesis. So um, you maybe could, not a coincidence then. No, well, it, it, you <laughs> could say that there is an influence there of the um, iconography and the style of Japanese mm. prints. Um, but the, I also I also see that uh, there is a very much uh, tradition of the Florentine drawing that I'm also coming from uh, Florence had a a very long tradition Mm. of drawing based work.
0: Now you had an exhibition here I think tell me how that went and you had an artist here from the UK as well I think didn't you?
1: Yes most of my work uh, takes place from ideas so I I start from an idea and then I develop it in different ways. Um, This particular exhibition had the focus on uh, this um, uh, material that I'm working on and um, one of the things I did was uh, create a performance artwork um, which I performed together with a British performance artist who came here and we made an echo of the printing process uh, with dance and uh, performance. Uh, Philip Bedwell is the name of the artist.
0: What kind of response have you had in Iceland then as we walk around and look at some of these Uh, beautiful old machines what sort of response have you had in Iceland to the work that you've put on not just this exhibition not just this work but everything else you've done
1: so the response in Iceland has been really positive and I'm really happy about that Um, although I come from uh, a traditional old masters uh, way I also like to work with contemporary media and contemporary approaches to what I do so that's also something that echoes with um, uh, with Iceland I feel
0: now, the machine we're standing in front of here, one of those presses, it has AW Penrose and Company Limited London stamped into it. It is a big, heavy piece of iron machinery, and there's a massive arm on the side, about a metre long, which looks like it's going to take a bit of effort to pull apart from anything else. What would this machine be used for?
1: This is a machine that is used for book binding as well as lino cut and woodcut. cut. Uh, the big, long arm that you're referring to is called the chill. And uh, so when you when you push it forward, yeah.
0: uh, you hear what it's doing. Here? Right. You wouldn't want to be <laughs> you wouldn't want to be underneath that when it goes down, would you?
1: No, then the paper is chilling, so it gives oh, a whole new meaning meaning to the idea of um, I'm just chilling, you know.
0: Yeah. How many books then would you be able to produce in a in a day with with one of these? It's a labour intensive process
1: you would have to ink the lino uh, piece which is made of linoleum or the wood cut which is made of wood uh, where you would call you will call it a matrix and you would put it underneath the uh, plate of the of this machine and then you would then place a piece of paper uh, sandwiched between between the machine and the matrix and uh, working very uh, quickly, depending on how big the matrix is, you can make even 50 prints in a day. Um, But then lino cut and woodcut is a completely different process uh, from, for example, etching, which can take a much longer time.
0: Let's move around to another one of the machines. And you showed me this when we came in before we switched on the microphones. So this machine's even bigger than the ones that we've seen. It's got a handle on the side that turns up. Can I have a go at this? Yes, of course. Which way should I turn it? If, anyway. <laughs> anyway. It's okay. So that's it's turning quite easily. What 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 is this? What is this handle doing? It's turning a a cog inside a big wheel. What what's what's going on here?
1: It's a lithography press from Erasmus Sutter or Sutter in Berlin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, this uh, dates from 1839 although it can still produce lithographies lithography works on a completely different um, principle than um, than etching and uh, and woodcut because uh, the matrix that we've talked about is made of um, of a special stone on which you draw with a special pencil and mm. uh, and then it works on the principle that water and oil based uh, materials um are not attracted to each other they 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 separate mm-hmm. uh, when when pressed so they um so you very slowly clean the stone the lithography stone and then you put uh, it under this uh, this machine and you turn the wheel and you can end up with a uh, print that is uh, the uh, specular mm-hmm. opposite of the of the drawing that you made
0: what's quite striking is that these machines And there are about five or six of them in this studio. They feel, to me, (laughs) like works of art in themselves. Do you think that that part of your job is sort of curating and preserving the machines as much as creating new art with them?
1: A good printmaker has to know the parts of these machines and can repair them when needed.
0: Ah, okay. Um, So what happens when they go wrong then? You can't just readily get someone around to fix them i guess
1: no there are lots of old uh, books that you can draw from (laughs) that uh, explain the different cogs that you can use and different things that Mm. you can attach to these machines to get them going again
0: because it's not like simply getting a new cartridge for your printer is it i guess
1: not indeed yeah
0: okay let's go back to the um milk cartons as i say there are two basins here one is full of complete milk cartons. The other one is full of pieces of milk carton that have been cut up and and ready. There must be about 30 or 40 cartons in here?
1: Yes, I haven't counted them, but uh, I've been collecting them for months.
0: Well, I was going to say, how much milk do you get through?
1: (laughs) I actually go to cafes and places where these things are used, and uh, rather than throwing them away, I ask them to be given to me so okay. I can make art out of them.
0: What do they say when you say that? Uh,
1: sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. <laughs> uh, but are they surprised? Most of the time, yes, they are definitely surprised. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's something new. But I'm trying, I'm trying to create also awareness of this um, problem. For example, during my exhibition, I've had a couple of... Um, um, environmental activists who came and uh, talked about this with Mm. me and uh, you know maybe something can be done about these things Mm. but it's one of those things where art provides the questions rather Mm. than the answers.
0: The only other time I can think of milk cartons being used in a sort of progressive way if you think back to the 1990s in America missing children would have their photographs placed onto milk cartons and that was an incredibly successful campaign apparently people would you know pay attention at the breakfast table looking at the milk carton and children were reunited with their families as a consequence this is obviously something very different but it feels as if this is how we're going to get our milk for some time
1: Indeed. Uh, There is uh, awareness from Tetra Pak that this is a problem. Uh, But according to my research, only 20% of these cartons get recycled worldwide and the rest goes to landfill.
0: These milk cartons, they're all from, I I won't say the brand, but they're all from oat milk companies.
1: When you have more food miles... You then have to use one of these aseptic cartons because they have to be of this particular mm. multi-layered uh, material. So local milk doesn't tend to have that because the local milk is made closer to home, mm-hmm. uh, closer to where it's sold, so they don't need to put it in, um, in these kind of multi-layered uh, cartons.
0: And you've got some more printing work that is taking place here. How finished are these? These are more abstract than the other work that we have described. Very obviously something that's been again created from something in the shape of a milk carton. So you've, you've kept that field deliberately.
1: Yes, indeed. I use the milk cartons to create mathematical structures. And uh, this work comes in a series called uh, Progressive Decay because I use the cartons themselves to print over and over and over again until they get completely marked by my own tools mm-hmm. and by the process of printmaking until the print is no longer feasible so uh, the last of the prints will be almost destroyed and uh, it's it's a it's a it's a philosophical thought on this idea of decay and recycling mm-hmm. and also from the way that we treat our planet yeah. in a way
0: and ironically, of course, the one thing, as we've said, that those cartons won't do if you just leave them be is decay. Indeed. You've obviously, as we've discussed, lived in many places. You've been an artist for a very long time. Do you, have you brought any of your other pieces to Iceland and exhibited those, or will you?
1: Yes, I created two performance pieces here in Iceland. I also made a, perform, um, I also made a painting exhibition uh, last year. And also I brought some of my own um, other types of etchings that are more traditionally made made on uh, zinc, for example. I can show you. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, let's have a look.
1: This is zinc that has been um, treated. Uh, I polish it until it becomes almost like a mirror. I can show you a polished piece here.
0: There really is a huge difference there. The unpolished, untreated zinc is very grey, it's very murky, you can't really see very much, but the the polished zinc, it's like a mirror.
1: Yes, exactly. Then I carve it with some metal tools until I create an image and then I polish it over and over again and uh, it gets printed also by one of these... um, Well, these machines, Mm -hmm. these etching presses. So I prepare it over a period of uh, days and then I create an edition, what is called an edition of prints, of impressions. So each of the works is an original piece of art uh, because they are not, it's not like a photocopy machine. I have to prepare each time the the plate and then uh, polish it uh, and ink it and Mm. and, and all sorts of.
0: And, And the image here is of a small girl.
1: The image is of a performance that I have been making uh, over the course of the last year. And uh, uh, I, as an artist, I also make performance art. So I make performances which I then draw mm-hmm. and then I etch them on this, in this particularly um, traditional means. One of the reasons why I do that is so that uh, you create something tangible out of the intangible.
0: Zinc feels like it's going to be a much less malleable material than milk cartons. There's more effort, more physical effort going into this?
1: Yes, yes. Of course, it's not as bad as iron because etching mm-hmm. on iron is also quite mm-hmm. uh, labour intensive. But you can etch on a number of materials, for example, aluminium, iron, copper, zinc, as well as other types of etching, uh, other types of printmaking made with um, linoleum linoleum and uh, wood as well as stone.
0: Well, we're going to have a go. I'm going to have a go at printing something from the zinc that we've been talking about, which is very exciting. I'll get to use these, yeah. these yeah. beautiful old machines by the sounds of it. I've got to put the gloves on, do I? Yes. Okay. What happens if I don't?
1: Uh, well, you get, I ink get ink zinc. I get, <laughs>
0: get, ink from get in zinc from the zinc all over your, my uh, fingers. I didn't realize my hand was so big. Okay.
1: Take a bit of ink from
0: here. Okay, so I'm picking up a piece of cardboard. Is this? Yeah,
1: cardboard. Uh,
0: and I just bought I just. Just take it. Yeah. Right. Scoop up some of the some of that ink. That I made. Okay, this is your ink as well.
1: Yes, I. Do make,
0: I do I put I this onto ink. the zinc dish? Yes. Yeah.
1: Okay. Like
0: this. Okay, I shall do that. Tell me about the ink. How do you go about making your own ink?
1: I work with um, raw materials mm-hmm. that I have in my studio. And then uh, I modify existing materials as well until I create something that has the consistency and texture that I'm happy with.
0: Right, do I need more ink here?
1: Yeah, yeah, There's enough just to uh, roll on all of the space.
0: The whole thing? okay. Yes. I really like art, but I am completely impractical.
1: This makes, uh, makes a nice noise.
0: So I'm rolling here the, the ink that I've already scooped onto the zinc disc And I'm rolling it across the entire thing.
1: Then you remove the excess ink. Now you use the mushroom. This is to put the ink deep into the grooves that I've carved on the zinc. Okay,
0: so this this is like a Have you ever been to the bingo? It's like one of those dabbers that's used. You know what I mean to uh, to mark off the numbers. Is that enough dabbing, or enough dubbing, okay? Yes. <laughs> now we take it off the
1: heat, and now we use this, which is called a tarlatan, and it's a loose weave fabric that is designed to take some of the ink away but leave some of it on. This is a long process. This is the process that takes the longest time. Uh, Rembrandt famously used to do it with his hands, and uh, if you do it enough times, your hands will be bleeding. So I use gloves and tarlatan instead. Uh, but I also give the print, or the matrix rather, uh, an atmospheric quality by deciding how much ink is left mm-hmm. on each part. Do you want to try?
0: I'll try, yeah. yeah. So
1: try a little bit.
0: So, so this bit, which obviously we won't follow through to the conclusion, but what you're now doing would ultimately take up to an hour, you said, maybe?
1: Yes, depending on how big the matrix is. Mm-hmm. So you do it uh, according to your own feeling. It's something that, to me is an extremely beautiful process.
0: Well, you are certainly going to end up with something that is a tangible result of your physical and, and mental creative effort. You will hold something in your hand that you've created from start to finish. And I guess that must be artistically very satisfying.
1: It's been my life uh, since I can remember. And it's something that uh, to me is my my, uh, favorite thing in in the the world Mm.
0: to do. So that's a part of the process that could take up to about an hour. It's not going to, in this case, to get this zinc disc ready for the printing, which is what I'm going to be very excitedly doing in a few minutes.
1: I've been soaking paper in water and obviously Icelandic water. And now, with a pair of tongs, you need to take the paper and put it on that uh, piece of glass.
0: Almost as if I'm removing a photograph from a chemical tray in a dark room, I suppose. Pick up a pair of wooden tongs here. Uh, There are two big pieces of paper that are underwater, as you heard there. So I put this where? On the piece of glass here. Oh, uh, vertically? Yes. Okay. Now I've taken the piece of paper, I've placed it between two clean towels. There's a note up saying clean towels only. Got two clean towels, and I'm patting the water, presumably, out of the paper. That's correct. So the zinc disc is still being, well, it looks like it's being buffed, but what you're doing is moving the ink around uh, and making sure it goes into the grooves yes, of, of what you've there's etched.
1: There's several stages to this. There's a rough stage and then a more detailed stage, and each of them is um, according to my sensibility and willing to give a sort of uh, character to the print. Mm. It's a nice ASMR. <laughs> ASMR.
0: <laughs> well, a lot of this process is very calming. It is very relaxing, I suppose. And I imagine that the day could run away with you in here. You get into the zone of creating and making and processing.
1: It's almost zen-like, I yeah. would say. You, you, I, I can be here for the whole day... Printing. In fact, I am here most
0: days. So the zinc disc is now prepared, almost entirely by you. I had a go, but you knew what you were doing and I didn't. So we're now placing that disc onto the middle of one of the biggest machines here, a big heavy iron machine. This is the one that's got the big wheel on the left that looks like, as I said earlier on, the, the, the wheel of a penny-farthing bicycle from a long time ago. Everything about this is big and heavy, and I'm going to get to operate it, which is very exciting. So... My hands is going to wash her hands because one of them is covered absolutely covered in black ink so now the piece of paper that I dried between those two towels that's what this is going to be printed onto so it goes on top of the disc
1: and then you place the paper and you put another piece of paper on top
0: And now there's a, well, it's probably not a blanket, but it looks like a blanket, a piece of heavy cloth that goes on top of that as well. So we've got the zinc disc, two pieces of paper, one of which we're going to print onto and this heavy piece of cloth as well. This is where the rolling starts, does it?
1: Yes, the piece of cloth is so that the zinc doesn't cut the actual paper because obviously a zinc plate is quite Quite sharp. sharp. Mm -hmm. So if I didn't put the cloth there, it would cut through the paper. And now you're going to turn the wheel and spare me. The
0: okay, well, I'm going to pass the microphone to you then in that case, if, if I may. So, um, is it the big wheel? Yes, the big wheel. All oh, right, which way do I turn it? This way, but okay. you have
1: to be in front of it. Like I'm going to be in front of it, and no, I turn the it. No, in front of okay. it, okay. yeah.
0: I turn yeah. it. I turn it, it forward. turn it, yeah. Okay. You have
1: to not stop, never stop. Never stop, okay. Never stop, even if it's How many
0: turns will this take, whole thing
1: goes Until the
0: whole, thing, so goes the whole through. thing goes through. All right, here we go. I'm printing. It's not quite as difficult as I thought it was going to be. There's a b- lot of pressure needed, but it's not quite as bad as I thought it was going to be. I can feel that it's gone through now, I think. Oh, God. <laughs> Didn't but, warn me about that. In a perfect,
1: perfect world, you wouldn't do that. No. <laughs> so it still is your first time.
0: My so first time, time, yes. So the cloth is coming off. Uh, we're left with the two pieces of paper. One is the sort of top coat. We'll take that off. And here is my, I'll say my, my artwork. How's it come off? Oh, look at that. There it is. And that's a really clear image of what was on the disc. How did I do?
1: You did quite well, thank you.
0: My thanks to Dr Emilia Tellese for her patience. I think it is fair to say as she guided me through a really enjoyable artistic process, or at least the easy parts that I was able to not mess up too badly. Now. Emilia's current projects, if you're in the UK, you might see her work on the bus stops in the city of Durham and the surrounding areas. Part of the Art Stops public art project that's curated by Peter McAdam. Her next exhibition in Iceland, though, will be in the foyer of the hotel Beria Marina in Reykjavik on the 9th of May. After that, she'll have exhibitions in galleries and museums in London, and also in at least a couple of locations, it seems, in Italy as well. You can find out about her, and indeed find out about all of her work, past and present and future, at art.emiliatelise.com, and you'll find that link, of course, on the article accompanying this podcast, and indeed a few photos of my efforts, (laughs) guided ably, by Emilia. This is the Roof English Podcast. My name's Darren Adam. Thank you as ever for your company. If you want to get in touch anytime, we are English at RUV.IS and you'll find us on Twitter and Facebook as well. You're
1: listening to the Roof English Podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to RUV.IS English.